0: Um, we have due next week homework number five is due on Monday and then your third solar observation again the last time I'll take a look at those before the project is due is due on Wednesday the 29th and then quiz number five coming up next weekend uh, will be available for those two, uh, for, that, for that weekend and then leading right into the exam covering chapters 10 through 12, which will be the following Monday, so a week from this coming Monday. So, few things, just a few things coming up there, uh, so homework to work on to take a look at this this weekend. I do have all of your stuff ready, I'll hand that back during lab, so I have everything. if you've looked this morning, grades are all up there, I've put all the grading up in there, but I'll hand those back during, during lab time while you're working. On your on your lab this week. Questions on anything up here? Before I, no, no. no? Alrighty. Well, picture of the day for today. Well, quite s- similar, only a little bit more magnified than what we looked at last time. Uh, last time we saw the sun sp- giant sunspot on the sun. Well, here it here it is again, in just a close up, uh, close up image looking at just the spot itself. So last time we saw the entire thing rotating entire sun rotating. This time we're seeing the entire sunspot, and this is the sunspot group that would be about the size of the planet Jupiter. So incredibly large, one of the larger sunspot groupings that, that we see on the sun. Um, if recall, sunspots are caused by the magnetic field of the sun. It gets twist and tangled, and where it pops out, we get these much darker areas on the sun that have cooled it off. So the sun, instead of being 6,000 degrees, its regular surface temperature, is down to 4,000, 4,500 degrees. Still pretty darn hot, but much cooler than the rest of it, so it looks dark against the background. If you could somehow scoop out that material and look at it out in space, it would look nice and bright reddish-orange. So it's still hot, just a lot cooler than the rest of the sun behind it. In the image you can also see, we talked about the Sun, we mentioned granulation. Here we can see it again in this image. You can see all the little, all the little uh, granulation cells here scattered around the normal surface of the Sun. You can kind of see how they get wiped out when the magnetic field comes through. So the magnetic field does, uh, really distorts all of those. But you can see all of those little brighter areas where material is welling up from the interior and the darker areas around them where the material, the cooler material, is sinking back down. Uh, this is the sunspot grouping that's approaching the uh, center of the sun, so moving towards, so almost facing towards Earth. We're getting close to that and probably hit there within the next couple of days. It's had a lot of good-sized flares already, nothing that's been directed towards us, but it's the kind of you know, active area of the sun that will produce uh, strong flares, uh, strong coronal mass ejections, so we could get uh, communications disruptions, we could get some nice aurora out of this and hopefully get a chance to see over the weekend and into the beginning of next week you know what this sunspot group actually does. Of course that's the kind of thing we can't predict. Now I can tell you yes it can give you nice flares but I can't tell you that this sunspot group is gonna send a nice flare towards the earth. It could, there's some chance that it will, but it also could send things out in other you know random directions and the earth doesn't happen to be in the way. So no guarantees as to what it will, what it will, what it will do but one of the very larger sunspot groups that we've seen in in quite a while. So, questions? Yes, ma'am. Is there something specific in our atmosphere that allows for the auroras from these flares and such? No. Just that there there is an atmosphere, pretty much. Uh, We actually see aurora on any planet with an atmosphere. So it's not just confined to Earth. If there's a magnetic field and an atmosphere, you get the same thing. So Jupiter, Saturn, Aurora occur on them as well. Of course it's not usually ours. It would be different colorings because you have oxygen and nitrogen atoms which cause our Aurora and it would be more hydrogen or helium there, but the process would would still be the same. Good. Anything else? Before we finish up chapter 11, we were just about set there as I believe. I think we had the last section to go because I talked about the brown dwarf stars last time, and the last section was looking at star clusters, which we did in, actually did a little bit of this, jumped ahead a little little bit of this in lab uh, last time. But we've been looking at star formation and how stars form. And how stars form, uh, what we find is that those clouds, that process that we talked about, were by which a gas cloud collapsed to form a star doesn't form a single star at a time. It's not just a single process. It's constantly going on. And a single cloud, giant cloud, as you recall, one of the first things it did was to fragment into, different, into bigger pieces, into, into smaller pieces. And those fragments, after multiple stages, would actually form the stars. So one giant cloud will actually produce many stars. but. The nice thing about them is that all those stars are about the same in many ways. They formed at the same time, pretty close to the same time. It takes a little bit of time for the stars to form and they might not form identically throughout the uh, cloud. But overall, you know, relatively speaking, they're about the same age. They formed of the same big gas cloud, so they're about the same composition. So, not only as we talked last time, they're the same distance from us. They're all about the same age. They're all about the same composition. And that is why astronomers use star clusters to study evolution of stars, to study what happens to stars. Because the only variable left, if we take out that stars didn't, didn't form at random times, scattered throughout, you know, over billions of years, We don't take out the fact that compositions could be very different between different gas clouds. You could have more of one element or less. So that could have an effect on what happens to the stars. We can really look at these star clusters. The only difference is the mass. You might form some very massive stars, things 10, 20, 30 times the mass of the sun. You might form some very low mass stars, things that are just half or a tenth the mass of the sun. And you can look at then, everything else is the same, so when we look at those star clusters, we can then study the evolution of stars, which in many ways is what we're going to lead into in the next chapter. So here's an example. Might look a little familiar. I think you plotted that out last time. This is the Pleiades star cluster. And you plotted out a main sequence. I had you plot the, well in that case we didn't plot the temperature, we plotted the color index of the stars, and we plotted the uh, magnitudes, not the luminosity, but the curve is essentially the same. You had a main sequence of stars and they were starting to leave up here. They're starting to end their lives and move off of the main sequence. So there's the picture of the Pleiades. That's what the overall the brightest stars there. You know, there's the few brightest stars way up here. The rest of these are also part of the cluster and form further down on the main sequence. This is what we call an open star cluster. It's not gravitationally bound together, so if we come back and look at the Pleiades in millions of years, and tens of millions of years, those stars are slowly moving away relative to each other. They have just random motions throughout space and they're slowly spreading out. Are they going to change tomorrow? No. Are they going to still be there a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now? Yeah, they'll look pretty much the same. But over longer astronomical time scales they will slowly spread out and disperse. Our own Sun was probably a part of one of these clusters at some point in the past. It's now had five billion years to wander away from that cluster. But uh, one of the articles that some of you may have read was on finding the Sun's lost nursery. Where did the Sun come from? So there's some research to find out you know, where, what other stars would have formed with the Sun. Where, where was that, if you can trace everything backwards. So this is an example of an open cluster and all the stars, almost all the stars are still on the main sequence that's where they go when they first form, that's where they are when they're producing energy by fusing hydrogen into helium. So, they're all going through the proton-proton chain that we talked about with the sun. You can sort of see at some point up here, they're leaving. These are the stars that are the highest mass that have exhausted their fuel. They have no, more, no, no further source of fuel and they're beginning to change. Their temperature is changing, their luminosity is changing and they begin to move across the HR diagram. Now if we look at an older cluster, and I think we looked at something much like this last time, this is a globular cluster, and you probably plot, We plotted something quite similar. Again you still have the main sequence here, down here, but now we see a lot of other things. First of all we see that there's no stars on the main sequence up here, so the stars that would have gone way up here are gone. They've all gone through their lives. It's not that they didn't form with the globular cluster, if we could have seen this globular cluster. 10 billion years ago, its main sequence would have gone all the way up here. Those stars were there, but those O stars may only live 5, 10 million years. If this cluster is 10 billion years old, they're gone. All done. The B stars might live hundreds of millions of years, but they're all gone 10 billion years later. The A stars, you know, you're getting down to the point where they're living billions or 5 billion years. Still, if a stars has lived for 5 billion years, after 10 billion years, how many of them are left? You know, zero, all gone. They're all gone. That's what we mean when we say they all formed at the same time. Now if they formed at different times, then you could be forming new stars at the, at the same time and that would throw things off. That's why we like clusters because they all formed essentially together. So what we find will happen is you saw where those stars were leaving the main sequence was way up here when we looked at the Pleiades. Now it's way down here. It's at stars closer to those like the Sun. So in a cluster like this, stars like the Sun are actually at the end of their lives and moving off. And what we see is that this is the kind of path that they will take. And this is what we'll be studying in the next chapter. How they kind of move off, they actually get a little bit cooler and then they get significantly uh, hotter are uh, not hotter, significantly brighter as they expand in size. So we'll look at that in more detail, all these different stages as the Sun moves up into the red giant region. But what we're looking at for now is these globular clusters. Uh, different than the open clusters, they are bound together. That will stay together and if we come back in a billion years or 10 billion years it'll still look essentially the same. But we've got lots and lots of red giant stars that we're starting to see now. So we're starting to get some ideas of what kind of things, what kind of properties the stars will have as they go through their lives. Here is a star cluster in the process of formation. Again we only get little snapshots of these. This is in Orion, this is the Orion Nebula. And if we look inside it, here it is in visible light, Hard hard to see inside there. But if we look at it in infrared, we can actually see through all that gas and dust and we're beginning to see this. We're beginning to see the beginnings of a star cluster there. So what we would love to be able to do is come back, you know, a couple hundred thousand years, give this some time to have cleaned out all that area, and then we'd see a nice open star cluster, you know, like the one we saw for the Pleiades. So in of tens of millions of years, we'd be able to see a nice star cluster there where the Orion Nebula is today. And that will slowly happen. But again, it's a very slow process. So for anything that we see with stars and how they change, we only get that single snapshot. We only get to see it as it is at this instant. Because an instant for the star might be millions of years for us. All right, the last, last one, yep, here. Now, some of those stars, some of those O and B stars that form, they don't live very long. They live an extremely short time. But they can have a big effect. First of all, they're the stars that are most likely to go supernova, to explode and rip themselves apart. And that can, co- that can affect the star cluster. They also have incredibly strong stellar winds. So they can clear out. They're the ones that are actually clearing out the nebula. Stars like the Sun, they have a stellar wind, but it's very weak by comparison. It would take a star like the Sun, you know, billions and billions and billions of years to really be able to clear out anything. This, this a, big, a bigger one would be able to do that. Now what this is showing is a simulation that's done, and I'm going to break here in a minute and go back to a, a video of this, actually showing you a video of this a simulation. But what we're seeing here is where stars have actually formed, so you actually see these white dots or stars that formed. And what they did was they built a star cluster. Okay? We can't do it in the lab, but we can do a simulation on the computer. We can make a big cloud of gas on the computer. Tell where every particle is. We can do gravitational forces in between each of the particles. And we can then allow that cloud to collapse and see what happens. Here's an end result of one of those images. I'm going to show you the simulation here in just, in just a minute. But as it collapses, you see... The stars have formed, so we formed a little star cluster here. Some of them actually will form with disks around them, so you're actually getting disks of material around them. Some of them, you can't tell by looking at it, but they can calculate, you know, what's the mass of this star? That mass is too small for it to ignite hydrogen, so it must be a brown dwarf star. So we're seeing lots of those forming as well. and. We can look at that, so we can simulate it. We can't really go look at it. I can't go out in the universe and make a star cluster, but we can go into a computer and simulate making a star cluster. We can put all of the properties there, all of the physics that we know, and then we can make make a little star cluster. So I'm going to break out of here for a second, and let's go ahead and do the video here. So this is what we start with. This is just a big cloud of gas out in space. What this is showing here is the density. So the redder, the the redder, dark, dark reds are very, very low density. There's not a lot of material way out here. As you get in towards yellows and oranges and then yellows and whites, it's much higher density. So you've got more material towards the center in this case. And then something, they put something in to allow it to start to collapse. And then all you have to do is look at the gravitational forces between each particle. It's a lot of particles out there, so it's not something you're going to want to do by hand, but computer, no problem to go ahead and calculate this. So this is a time zero years, and we'll go ahead and run this. And you watch as it starts to collapse. We're taking tens of thousands of years, 60, 70, and you see the yellower is the denser material, it's denser, it's where the material is beginning to concentrate. No stars yet, still but getting much denser areas here. Now what it's doing there is it just changed the scale, things didn't get dense, less dense all of a sudden. You saw this was really bright white in order to allow it, keep it from oversaturating, if you saw this scale kind of changed. So now what was you know white is now down here into the yellows and oranges. And that just changes it so that you can actually see all the details. And then we're going to look at this a little bit more, allow it to run a little bit. We've got a nice dense core there starting to form as we spin around. But still no stars specifically yet. Now as we zoom in even closer, the scale changed again. We're going to start to see the first stars beginning to form. You'll see some little white dots forming in this section. As the denser material starts to form together, you start seeing stars. And yes, getting flung around, but we're looking at times of hundreds of thousands of years. So it's not like it's just going to fling these stars all around. But they are going to move, be moving around like that. And we're forming in the process of forming an open cluster. Some of them will have disks around them in their simulation. Some of them all by themselves. Some of them have very high mass, some are very, very low. And we're getting closer to what we were looking at in the image there. And then we let it run a little bit further. And again, you start to see more and more stars forming. This is essentially what happens if you could watch over, you know, how many hundred, what are we at, 200, pushing 300,000 years. So if you could watch a star cluster something like the Orion Nebula over hundreds of thousands of years, and I'm going to pause that there so it doesn't just clear on me, then you would have, what you would have left over is what we see sort of like in the Orion Nebula now. We've got a cluster of stars forming, a whole bunch of stars down here, some that are scattered around this nebula, still have some denser areas where star formation is going on. And you've got the redder area, the leftover gases that remain that are, you know, left over that are slowly going to be cleared out by this star. That's what we would see as the nebula. This would be the glowing gas that we see around there. These would be the darker, denser areas of star formation. And these would be those stars that we're actually beginning to see in the infrared. And if we could let it run into the future, again, we took it, this took about 200,000 years to go from that gas cloud down into a small cluster of stars, something like what we see in Orion today. All right. So, let me finish this up, Any? let me put this back up here and then I just have the review here. Um, come on, there we go. So this is, just one, this is just one picture of it and you may recognize that we saw some sections quite like that. Again, there's all those stars that are in the process of forming. Uh, some of them are being ejected out. Why are they being ejected? It's all gravity. So if two stars pass close to each other, it gets a little bit of a boost and it may get sent out. So that's why some of these stars get sent out and are scattered around much further. It's not that a star formed here and here and here. They all formed in these denser areas. But as they pass close to one another, they change their orbits. And they will get sent out further out into, this, into the cloud. So that's one example of what, we've, what astronomers have done to really be able to see and study how stars form. Because otherwise, we just see snapshots. We see the Pleiades star cluster that's already formed. We see the Orion Nebula where a cluster is in the process of forming. We see some dark nebulae where the stars have not yet formed yet. We see older clusters like the uh, globular clusters. We see all of those different things, but trying to put them all together, how you go from one stage to another, we have to do something like this. All right, so let me finish up chapter 11 here. We'll just get the review and then I'll we'll head on to 12. Interstellar medium had two parts. It was gas. Mostly hydrogen. In fact, 90% of it was hydrogen. And the rest was helium and a scattering of other elements. Dust was the other portion. Gas doesn't do a whole lot, but it's a lot of the material. Dust is very good at doing two things. First of all, making things seem fainter than they otherwise would. And making them seem redder because the dust is very good at absorbing the blue light and takes the blue light away from the stars leaving them looking redder than they otherwise would. We looked at nebulae. We saw three different kinds of nebulae. We saw the emission nebulae. That was hydrogen gas being typically being excited by stars. hot star exciting the hydrogen gas causing it to glow in a red. I didn't put up there reflection nebulae. Reflection was reflecting the blue light of the stars off the dust. So an emission nebula looked red. A reflection nebula looked blue. And then there were dark dust clouds. Very dark clouds where, which were very cold. And this is where the star formation begins. The dark clouds can't be studied because they are so cold directly. They don't emit any visible light. We can see them. You can see their silhouette. They're blocking light from behind it. But we don't see the clouds themselves invisible light. However, in hydrogen light that 21 centimeter line that I mentioned, that's when the spins flipped in the hydrogen atom. You had them going parallel to each other, they were both spinning in the same direction and the one flipped to go in the opposite direction. It gave off a photon of light, radio light, that was 21 centimeters long. That was very easy to occur and therefore, we can actually track and measure these clouds very well with this because it doesn't take a lot of energy to produce something that's 21 centimeters in wavelength. It takes a lot of energy to produce red light or green light or blue light. It takes a lot of energy to be able to see those. <clears throat> Last time, we went over star formation. The first stage was fragmentation. The, star star, the, the cloud started to fragment, breaking apart into big chunks and then those would further collapse into smaller chunks that would then become stars. Once it starts to collapse, gravity kicks in. So that cloud is quite happy the way it is. Once you get a little bit of collapse, once something pushes it, gives it a little push to start, that fragment will collapse, its temperature increases, its luminosity increases, and if it's big enough, if it is big enough to get up to 10 million degrees it will actually begin to fuse hydrogen into helium. That's when it physically becomes a star. If it's not enough mass then it remains as a brown dwarf star. We've seen these so we can see cloud fragments. We can see what's going on. We see each stage separately. We can't put them all together in terms of watching it. We can't sit there and let's just say, you know, my My job as an astronomer, I'm going to watch this star cloud collapse over my career. It's going to take too long. The times are way too long for us to be able to see it. So instead we have to study all the different parts. We have to look at the very clouds that are just beginning to form, just beginning to collapse. That's one stage. We can't wait for them to collapse because it takes too long, so we look at the next stage in something like Orion where the cluster is forming, we look at the young uh, open clusters like the Pleiades, we can look at the older clusters, and we can put all of that together to really determine, uh, what, to really be able to understand star, star formation. Typically we form lots of stars from a cluster. I sort of showed you that in the simulation here. They didn't form just one star. That whole cloud did not collapse to form one massive star. It broke apart and formed a number of stars, typically a cluster that open cluster will remain for a while but the open clusters slowly spread out. As I said, our Sun was once a part of of an open star cluster. So that star formation, that's the first stage in what we call stellar evolution and the next stage, now we've got a main sequence star, it's sitting on the main sequence, it's burning hydrogen to helium and if it's a star like the Sun we can ignore the next 10 million years. 10 million, 10 billion years. Nothing much happens to it during that time. It's going to sit there and, play nice and st- stay nice and stable. We kind of like that for us here, that the sun is nice and stable and not constantly getting lots brighter or lots fainter. You know, we have enough with winter and summer. We could imagine them going you know hundreds of degrees hotter or hundreds of degrees colder. It really wouldn't be very pleasant for us. So it's nice that a main sequence star is. But what we kind of do now is we kind of jump from chapter 11 and we kind of skip over that 10 billion years to chapter 12 and skip all of that. Oops, where am I? There we are. And skip everything into what happens at the end of our star's life. So now we formed a star like the Sun. It's just reached the main sequence. We can skip ten billion years and go on to see what happens afterwards. And eventually the Sun will become something much like this. It starts out with a nebula, a nebula collapses to form the Sun, but the Sun will actually become a nebula again. This is what we call a planetary nebula. It has a compact object at the center and lots of material, uh, gas and dust surrounding it. It doesn't look necessarily all that different than what we saw when we looked at uh, the Orion Nebula. The difference is that this material now, instead of collapsing to form the star, has now been expelled outward from the star. So the star collects all that material, fuses hydrogen to helium during its life. At the end of its life it will expel that material out. The Sun will get bigger and bigger. It'll eventually engulf Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. That's how big the Sun will become. At some point those outer layers will become unstable and that's what you're seeing here. These are those outer layers of the star that have been expelled out into space. And as you might see they're kind of not just one big circle all expelled out at once but perhaps in different stages where some layers were expelled off earlier and perhaps others expelled or pushed off later and some closer in here even later. So over a period of time a lot of the outer layers of the Sun will be expelled back out into space. So what are we going to look here? Again as I said we're going to start with leaving the main sequence. We just reached the main sequence at the end of the last chapter now we're leaving it already. For some stars, that isn't such a bad guess. For the big, most massive stars, that really doesn't, it doesn't take all that long between the two. They don't last very long on the main sequence. For a star like the Sun, we've skipped billions of years of life. And we're going to start off with looking at a star like the Sun. What happens to a star like the Sun? And then we're going to look at stars of other masses. What if it's a little bit lower mass than the Sun? What if it's a little bit more massive? And we're going to see there's quite a big difference now. When the star is formed, it really didn't make a big difference whether it was the mass of the Sun or 10 or 20 times the mass of the Sun. It does in this case. It really does make a big difference and what happens at the end of a life of a very massive star is quite different than what happens with the Sun. showed you a picture of what the sun's going to become, something like that, in the future. As I said, that's a planetary nebula. A more massive star, a very massive star, will actually explode. The sun doesn't explode. It doesn't push those out in an an explosion. They just get so far away that little pulses of the sun, little instabilities, kind of push them off into space. A supernova explosion is literally a star tearing itself apart. So a very massive star will become completely unstable at the end of its life and rip itself apart, forming a nebula, something like what we saw there. But I'll show you some images of those. We can see some differences as well. We'll come back to star clusters again as well and look at how we can sh- see evolution. We sort of looked at two images today. I'll go through at the end of this unit, we'll go through a little bit more in a little bit more detail uh, the different looking at star clusters of different ages. Alright, so where are we? First we're on the main sequence, and if you recall, we looked at the sun. The sun was in a perfect state of balance. So what happens is that we have gravity is trying to pull the Sun. Gravity wants to collapse that Sun down to a point. Wants to collapse it down to a point. Wants to make a black hole essentially at the center of the Sun. Okay? Gravity is a force that always attracts things towards the center. In order for that not to happen, in order for the Sun to stay stable, gravity we know gravity is pulling it down. There has to be something else pushing it outward. And that is the force of all those nuclear reactions going on at its core, all those little nuclear explosions pushing the sun outward. And they are in a perfect balance for the sun for 10 billion years. If, if the star, for example, heats up a little bit, sometimes it happens. You, get, you heat up. You might have it get a little bit harder, a little bit more nuclear reactions going on. The star would expand outward a little bit. Okay, You're producing more energy meaning that the red arrows are bigger than the blue so the star is actually going to expand outward a little bit. Well if we expand something we're going to cool it off and that cools off the temperatures and it would quickly go back to where it was. So for most stars this will go, this was a nice and perfect it's what we call an equilibrium. It's completely balanced that if the star tries to get, you know if pressure wins a little bit, pushes a little bit harder and tries to expand the star, the center cools off loses energy and it collapses back down to where it was. If temperature goes a little bit lower and it cools off, well then all of a sudden gravity gets excited, it's winning, it starts to push down a little bit more and that heats things up and pushes more energy and it balances again. So for most stars you get a nice perfect balance like that which we call equilibrium. That lasts, for the Sun, it will last about 10 billion years. From a very massive star it might last a few million to 10 million years. For very small stars, it might last a trillion years. Meaning that any of those stars that formed ever are still around. So eventually though, at some point, we're burning hydrogen to helium in the core of the sun. That can't go on forever. Right? Driving, driving your car, right? You can go. As long as you're converting the gasoline into energy, you can keep going. Eventually, you know, just keep going and keep going, get on the highway and start driving, eventually you're going to run out of fuel and you're going to stop. What's going to happen? Well, it's really going to depend on, on the star in this, in this case. Eventually, we're going to run out of hydrogen. Eventually, all of that hydrogen that's in the core of the Sun will be converted to helium and the star will begin to change. And it begins to leave the main sequence. So we had our main sequence here. The star was here. That's the sun. As it uses up all of its fuel, its temperature changes, its luminosity changes, and it's going to move. And actually, it's going to move up towards the red giant region. So it's going to move up towards the red giant region of the HR diagram. That's what's going to happen when it uses up its fuel. What's going to happen inside? Well, remember the balance. You got pressure balance, pressure pushing outwards, gravity pulling down. If we run out of gas, we run out of fuel, you run out of pressure. Right? So all of a sudden those arrows disappear. Which ones were they? The blue ones? Go back a second here. All of a sudden those blue arrows are still there, the red arrows disappear. So now we have nothing pushing outward, what happens? gravity starts kicking in. Now the blue arrows are stronger. It's going to pull down and collapse that material down further. So now we're going to have that star start to collapse. It's not going to be an instantaneous collapse. The, car, the, the star doesn't run out of fuel like that. It right? doesn't just stop like your car does. It's out of gas, boom, it's done. It's a sl- little bit slower process that it will take it a little while. It's slowly running, slowly running out of fuel. But And it won't just collapse, it'll start to collapse slowly and push that material down. But that material is so dense that it takes a long time. You can't just crush it down, it's not just going to crush down to nothing instantaneously. So, what's going to happen depends on what how massive the star is and we're going to look at the two examples. If the star is low mass, like the mass of the sun or less or even a little bit more, five, five times the mass of the sun maybe, it's going to be a nice quiet ending. We'll form a planetary nebula and all that, but nothing, you know, nothing violent occurring. Whereas a high mass star, those that are 20 and 30 times the mass of the Sun, are the ones that are going to explode. They're going to become completely unstable in their center and rip themselves apart. Alright, so what do we see now? What's, here's what's going on with the Sun right now. The top image is showing the Sun when it formed. It was pretty much uniform in composition. About 90% of the atoms were hydrogen and about 10% of them were helium. So the yellow there is all the hydrogen from the outside. Here's the surface of the Sun. There's the very central portions of the Sun, the core. After about 5 billion years, what's happened? Well, over those 5 billion years we've been fusing hydrogen to helium. Sun's been producing energy. So the hydrogen that was at the core is not all there anymore, it's now a lot of it has been converted to helium and in fact about half of it. So about half of this hydrogen that was here, this was going all the way across, half of that's been converted into helium down in the core. Outside of that, just about nothing has happened. The sun is really not changed out here. The rest of the composition of the sun stays exactly the same. So nothing changes further out, it's all going to still be hydrogen and helium. As it goes a little bit longer, after 10 billion years, now here's the core. Where's our core? Right about there. There's not very much hydrogen left there. And in fact, not enough hydrogen left to sustain the reactions. You've got a lot more helium than hydrogen. And as it gets down towards that point, it's slowly going to change. It's slowly going to become, the star is slowly going to expand, cool off, and become more luminous. Expand. Why is the star going to expand? I told you it was going to contract, right? did I just tell you the star was because gravity was going to pull it down? Well, when the star collapses, the inner layers collapse down. The core will collapse. But as that does to balance everything, the outer layers actually expand. So this is when it's going to become a red giant. As it's producing energy, as it's collapsing in the interior, the outer layers actually get expanded out. So the inner interior is collapsing, heating up, getting to much higher temperatures. It was 15 million degrees going to get up to 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 million degrees and even hotter, the outer layers are going to expand off and cool. So they haven't changed. Again, they have not changed in composition. It's still, when we look at the surface of the sun now, it's still 90% hydrogen, 10% helium. That's what it was when it was formed. That's what it'll be when it reaches the end of its life. It's still going to be that. The interior is where everything has changed. That's where the changes are going on, not things that we can see directly. So here's a little here's sort of a, a cutaway looking at the sun to kind of show what will happen there. What you'll have is there's most of the surface, most of the sun, big outer layer, that's just transporting the energy. You formed a lot of helium down there. You've got helium ash, right? It's the leftovers from the burning of hydrogen into helium. It's helium ash. Helium can you do anything with helium? You can fuse helium together if you get high enough temperatures. But remember we had two protons we were trying to fuse together at one point, And they, didn't, they wanted to repel each other because they were both positively charged? Well, helium atoms have two positive charges and two positive charges that you're trying to fuse together. So now you've got twice the charge here and twice the charge here. You've got four times the force pushing them apart. It requires a lot higher temperatures. Plus. If you try to fuse two helium atoms together, it doesn't work. What they form is unstable and immediately disintegrates. So you actually need a little bit more complicated process to get any kind of energy out of helium. And you need really, really high temperatures, as if 15 million degrees wasn't hot enough. 15 million degrees won't come close to be able to fusing helium into anything else. So you'll have all that helium building up there, just compacting down, denser and denser. It's already denser than, even though it's considered a plasma, it's already denser than any solid we have here on Earth. And it's getting continually denser and denser. The sun still has an energy source. The energy source is hydrogen, but instead of hydrogen burning in the core, it's burning in the outer layers right around the core. Why? Well, this is getting hotter and hotter temperatures. So now areas that had been 9 million degrees, 8 million degrees, have heated up. They've gotten over 10 million degrees and you can start getting hydrogen burning in this shell around the core. So that gives us a little bit of energy. And as that helium core collapses and compresses itself down, that hydrogen shell is actually expanding the rest of the star out. That's actually producing the energy that is expanding the rest of the star outward. So the core is contracting, the outer layers are expanding out and making the sun larger and larger. So here's our stages again. Again, we had 1 through 7 last time. Now we're going 7 through 14. And look at all these as to what's going on. Again, time frames are important. We're kind of skipping number 7 in a way because we've already done that when we talked about the sun, but there's not a lot happening for that 10 billion years. Stage 8 is Star 8 is uh, Stage 8 is the subgiant phase. That's as it's moving up It's kind of not quite in the giant phase. It can't just jump from here to here. It slowly changes so it works its way through here and that might take it a hundred million years. So the Sun runs out of gas. It doesn't just run out of gas like that. It takes it a hundred million years and it's slowly working its way up here as it does that. The rest of the stages go pretty quick. This is only a hundred thousand years, the red giant phase. hundred thousand, again, long time for us. But we've already been talking about millions and billions and tens of billions of years. 100,000 more is essentially nothing. The next long phase is what we call the horizontal branch phase. That lasts maybe 50 million years. Again a red giant phase, 10,000 years. And the planetary nebula phase, you know, maybe tens of thousands, thousands of years, tens of thousands of years at the most. Beyond that, once it becomes a white dwarf here, there really are no times because the white dwarf over here is just the core, it's the leftover core of the sun. It's dead, it's got no energy source, all it's doing is slowly cooling off. So it might start at 50 or 100,000 degrees and it's just slowly cooling off and going to get down close to zero eventually. At that point it would be called a black dwarf star. White dwarf star, because it looks very white and hot in the sky now, over time it would cool off and become a black dwarf. Be completely dark. Would not be able to see anything. That hasn't happened yet. <clears throat> not a single one has formed in the history of the, of the universe because the universe is only about 14 billion years old. So it will take longer than that for the first white dwarfs to have cooled off to a low enough temperature. So we're going to look at all these in more detail, but you can see a couple things that happen here. First of all, the temperature is increasing from 15 million degrees, 50 million, 100 million, 200 million, up to 300 million degrees. So we're getting incredibly hot there at the center. Surface temperature is actually cooling off, going from 6,000 to 4 and 5,000. It's actually a little bit cooler. Density is getting much larger. Uh, you had 100,000 particles, or 100,000 kilograms, in each cubic meter. Pretty dense as it is. That's at the center of the sun. You're going to go a hundred, or even a thousand times denser by the time you get up to these other phases, or even more. Size—it's going to get. The sun is going to get bigger. It's actually going to expand in size, contract a little bit here, expand again. And this is the same thing. This is the radius. This is in kilometers. This may make a little more sense because the numbers are smaller. It'll get three times bigger when it's a subgiant, maybe a hundred times bigger as it's a giant. It then contracts back down. So the Sun is going to get bigger, then it is going to contract back down for a while and then eventually it'll be 500 times the size it is right now before it slowly loses those layers and expels them out as a planetary nebula. So we're going to go through these in more detail and look at them on the H-R diagram. That's kind of the summary and again like with the other one, i like you to know the stages. I don't like you to have to memorize stage 8 is this, or stage 9 is what's going on in stage 10. You know, you don't need to know the specific by numbers, but you do want to know the sequence that the star will go through and the general changes that are happening. So what's going to happen first? Well, I said the subgiant I kind of skipped through. That's what happens when the sun is using up its fuel and working its way towards the red giant branch. As it's doing that, the core is getting denser and denser. It's collapsing down. And the outer layers are expanding. So the core gets denser and denser, contracts down. The outer layers expand out, get much less dense, and cool off. We now have a red giant star. So our sun, our nice little yellowish star, is now a big red star extending out as far as Mercury. Now let's see. We did. Did I give you the numbers? I brought my little ball in, right, when we, did the lab, when we did that lab on the scale of the solar system. And we had, that was like the size of a basketball-ish. And mercury would have been a little, the little beads that I showed you for the earth, the earth was about 90 feet away, mercury would have been about 30 to 40 feet away. So that ball is going to go from the size it was, the size of a basketball, to all of a sudden a basketball that's 40 feet, 40 feet across. So that's that's tremendous change in size. I shouldn't say 40. How about 80 feet? Because it's going to actually go double that. It's going to go from the center to both sides. So it's going to go incredibly large compared to what it is right now. And it will engulf out to Mercury. It's eventually going to do that. It's eventually will engulf Mercury and then finally it will actually engulf the uh, other inner planets. Now it's cooled off significantly. It's gone from 6,000 degrees to 5 to 4,000 degrees or so. So it's cooled off quite a bit. Normally when things cool off they're not as bright, but it is going to be bright because while it's cooling off, it's getting a little bit cooler, its luminosity is going to increase because it's gotten so much bigger. So it's gotten incredibly large, so even though each little section on the surface is not giving off a whole lot of energy, there's so many more of them than there were. You've gone from something the size of a basketball to something 80 feet across. You got a lot more little squares on that to give off energy. So it's luminous and each of them is giving off less energy than it was but still a good amount of energy. It's going to get incredibly bright. So the Sun will become one of the brighter stars in the sky. For us of course it will be because we'll be so close to it. But even for someone observing from a different planet the Sun would then be one of the brighter brighter stars in the sky instead of as it is now, relatively faint unless you happen to be very close to it as we are. So here's what we see happen on the HR diagram. There it was in words. Here's what it's going to do. It's going to start at 7. That's the main sequence. It's going to cool off a little bit, reach the subgiant phase. So that's as it's using up its energy. As it uses up more and more energy, that collapse, that cooling begins to increase, and the expansion really begins to increase. So, what's happening here is it's getting a little bit bigger and a little bit cooler. Once it really starts to run out of energy, run out of fuel, it really zips up here to stage 9, which means it's gotten a lot bigger. It's gone from the size of the sun to a hundred times that size, and it is increased, in decreased its temperature by almost into half. It'll go down to like 3,000, 3,000 to 4,000 degrees. So it'll get incredibly cool by comparison. So, again, that's how it will appear to move on the HR diagram, meaning that its temperature will change and its luminosity will change. Let me see what's, well, let me mention this and I'll come back and pick this up on Monday, get the right day. Uh, Helium fusion. I told you already helium is very hard to fuse. You've got two positive charges in each of those. You're trying to smash them together. They're pushing themselves apart four times as hard as the hydrogen was. So we needed ten million degrees to do, heli- to do hydrogen. We need about a hundred million degrees to do helium. So it has to be about ten times hotter in order to do that. But we've got a new energy source now. So we ran out of hydrogen. We can actually get helium to fuse, we now have a new energy source. And I'm going to go over the helium flash a little bit more next time. I'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. I'm not going to go through that right now. But I just wanted to get you the start that really you're going to be a really high temperatures that are needed, much higher than we needed to fuse height fuse hydrogen. So let me just go ahead and stop there. I'll come back to this slide on Monday and pick up pick up with this and go through stage 10 and we'll finish up uh, getting up probably towards the supernova phase on, on Monday. Mm-hmm. Any questions? questions? Otherwise, have got about a 10 minute break and then we'll come back and i got a lab to set up for you.